0: So, Richard, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited were you to have a Dr. Pulaski episode? I
1: was 17
0: excited. Okay.
1: All right. So you liked it. You liked Unnatural Selection. You know, the plot of this episode was horrible. It just made no sense, and it was stupid, but... I liked it
0: better when it was called The Deadly
1: Years. Well, yeah. Mm, deadly Years. Mm. Um... But I liked the character stuff, and I actually kind of liked Pulaski a tiny bit in this episode. I appreciate that they they should have given us this episode a lot earlier ago, because we've really never had a we we we've had this character and they've been really trying to make Pulaski happen, and they've never given us any reason to like her or to wor- you know, to think that she is that interesting of a character. We've seen her, she's probably good at a job. Here we really do see her in action and we see areas in which she is good at being at her job, and areas in which she is still making some errors in a way. And yeah,
0: well, I, I remember you saying in a, in a previous episode of Trek about that that you thought that Dr. Pulaski um, was probably a really good researcher and 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 really sort of theoretical, and uh, perhaps was not uh, someone who had a good bedside manner or someone who was was worried so much about their sort of performance in the in the personality space, which. Yeah. I think this episode kind of, um, you know, I have to back you up with that a little bit. I, I, I yeah. think that that's right. I think, like, you know, I think the, she's in a way
1: almost maybe even like a kind of Dr. House type thing where she's, you know, does know all of this, you know, pathology stuff backwards and forwards and sees very interesting and exotic cases. But yeah, she doesn't really deal with day to day patients. That's not her role.
0: And I think that this episode what was necessary in the evolution of the character of Dr. Pulaski. I do agree with you that I think it it was it it should have come earlier in the season. I mean, it's not super no. late in the season. We're we're still only about a fourth of the way through it. So there is that, and I think you know, in, in the case of Doctor Pulaski, um, earlier episodes perhaps would have colored her in a better way if we had had this episode yeah. earlier. Um, it's it's funny because. I actually really liked this episode a lot. I, I didn't have strong recollections of it. Uh-huh. And I think actually this episode and uh, the second episode we'll talk about this week, A Matter of Honor, um, are both good episodes in kind of the same way. Um, I recently got the – and this will be a little bit of a tangent, but you know, just go with me because I, I think I have a, a, a way out of this. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I recently got the, the season five Blu-rays of The Next Generation and I was watching, they always do one of these sort of like 40 to 50 minute long documentaries yeah, about yeah. the season and what happened and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I believe it was uh, Ronald D. Moore who started writing for The Next Generation, the third season, um, was a producer and wrote a lot of episodes for Deep Space Nine, uh, wrote a couple episodes of Voyager and create was, was probably most famous for creating the, the reboot Battlestar Galactica and you know he he said that one of the things that they did in the third season because they had a lot of uh, writers coming in and out of the show in the first and second seasons and we've talked about that in previous yeah. episodes that Michael Pillar who was the head writer for the third season of the show and we'll get into that later on of course um he he really wanted to his theory about the show was the problem with the first two seasons was really that the guest stars were overshadowing the the primary characters. And he was repivoting the show to say, okay, we have to make sure that whatever happens in the episode needs to be dramatically interesting. Yeah, But it also needs to have some sort of implication or some sort of story about one of the main characters or a couple of the main characters. And what I think you're seeing in Unnatural Selection is is the beginning of that. I think yeah. it's a good... I don't think that they set out to do that. I think in a way they set out to make a Dr. Pulaski episode just because they needed to explain who she was a little bit. But... I kind of think that, you know, we're, we're starting to see that, that this episode is really good, not because the plot is interesting, because it's not really. I say, the
1: episode doesn't even seem to care about its own plot. Like, it just kind of, disease, and we'll fix it because of magic, you know, but, yeah.
0: But I think the show That's, is... Which is not a problem, I no, would say. No, it's not a problem, because the, the Dr. Pulaski stuff is really strong. Yeah. The Picard stuff is really strong. The Data stuff is really good. And... What you're seeing is a show that is beginning to transition, I think, in this episode from a TOS-style, plot-heavy episode, plot-heavy show, to one which is much more focused on characters. And I like it. Yeah. I think I like this show. I
1: I was going to say, yeah, again, even though there were problems with this episode, I did like it. I did like it because I think what they do with Pulaski, they redeem Pulaski a lot in this episode— you talk about Data. I think this is the first time I've seen her relating to him in a way that's true to her character, but which is showing her in a very different place than when she first got on this ship. I mean, the only time—you know, she very specifically picks Data to do this mission with her, and yes, there is a practical reason for that, um, But really, the only time she mentions, you know, that he's an android is when it's in a very specific, you know, you'll be safe because you're an android or this is not going to, you know, be a problem for you. And she's beginning to kind of realize the benefits to having him on the crew. You know, there are, I I don't remember the exact thing she asks him, but she does ask um, him for a couple of questions or stuff because he would know that right away. And that's good, you know. That shows, you know. She even, you know, says, "Oh, your bedside manner needs work," you know. Like she's joking with him at a couple of points, and that's I, I like that version of Pulaski. Well, I think it makes she's trying. I yeah. think
0: it makes sense, right? Because if this episode establishes that, and I do want to talk about her interactions with Picard a little yeah. bit as well. I don't want to forget about that, no, no, no. but. You know, if this episode establishes that Pulaski is a brilliant researcher. the mm-hmm. The woman in the station actually said that she wrote this paper that was seminal, yeah. and was still used, um, you know, in classes, and was still sort of like the the text about you know genetic manipulation yeah. or whatever it was. Um, it, the specifics don't really matter. That you know, Pulaski is set out to be this person who is very, very interested in research, very, very analytical, and 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 data driven. So it makes sense that she would start to warm up to Data yeah. when she gets some sort of practical benefit from his androidness. Yeah. If we can say that.
1: No, and I, I agree with that. And I think she's yeah, that 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 is very fair to say and I think that's a version of their relationship that works for them. I think it's one that you know, she's never going to be friends with Data, I don't think. They never will hang out outside, but here we see them working very closely on a mission and working well together.
0: And I think, you know, I think the fact that she starts to warm up to Data in this episode also sort of colors her previous interactions. In a way, it's sort of a retcon, yeah. but, uh, you know, Again, wh- it's wh- one
1: that feels right. That feels logical as well. Well, what I,
0: what you know, what, I, what I'm thinking is that the the fact that she was so dismissive towards Data was, in a sense, her being intrigued by him but not really wanting to engage with him, but probably wanting to study him. Do you know what I mean? And so she was thinking about him as more of an interesting science experiment or an interesting piece of data than anything else. And when she starts to realize that, no, Data is, you know, a a, a person. He's a, he's a, a, a a member of the crew. He interacts with you. He talks to you. Like you can't just treat him like a, like a lab experiment that that's when she starts to realize, OK, well, I need to step back and I need to start treating him a little bit differently. Um, and I think it makes sense. You know, may- maybe this episode wouldn't have worked if it had come earlier. I don't and that, know. And that's fair. Um,
1: that That is the one thing that I would say, because this does imply that she has had some interactions with him and she has had some time to think. And frankly, the rest of the crew has probably rubbed off on her a little bit. You know, they everybody in this crew is very touchy-feely the captain picard has no hesitations about thinking of data as a person even recognizing that he is different from them and so yeah she's just getting used to the environment here i think um and i yeah i do like the way that she and picard deal with each other in this because you see two people who they aren't really good at working together yet but they also recognize that it's a really it's it's important that they do and i think you know, both of them talking to Troy, Troy makes it clear, like, look, it's not that you don't really like each other, you're just, I think, worried. I think she's worried, you know, Picard and Pulaski have never had a real normal interaction. I think they've been very standoffish to each other, and this is kind of their moment where they're, Picard's allowed to care about her and worry about her, and she's allowed to, you know admit to the, him that she's not 100% to what to do, or she realizes that, you know, he is holding to her to a very high standard. Well, I,
0: there's, I think there's a degree to which Picard was not given a reason to care about her, right? Yeah. And, and you know, let, let's go, let's think back to um, Picard and Pulaski's first interaction in in, in in The Child in the first episode of the second season where yeah. he's pissed off that she didn't come and report to him uh, and finds her intent forward and he thinks she's basically dicking around, right? Yeah, and um, I meanwhile, she knows her own credentials. He doesn't seem to. Well, I think. Well, here is I. I don't know if I would go that far. I think what I what I am trying to get at is that she is someone who isn't by the book. Yeah. She is someone who will just do things uh, if they work. And Picard isn't that person, you know. Picard, while he's not a stickler yeah. for the rules, he definitely wants a sense of protocol and he wants a sense of decorum on his own ship. You know, he is definitely not a Kirk, right? Yeah, yeah Kirk yeah. wouldn't care about this. Picard does and what what this episode is kind of you know sort of getting around the edges of is the is the idea that you know Pulaski is in a position of she she's not the one that has power in this relationship um you know there there's something that uh they always talk about in, in improv comedy which is status right yeah and, you know you always have low status or high status characters in any improv scene and Pulaski doesn't have low status, but she definitely has lower status than Picard yeah. just because of the realities of the situation that they're in. And what I think is interesting about, about Unnatural mm-hmm. Selection is that they really start to engage with that on a real level. And she is the one who's apparently worried about their relationship. Yeah. Picard is as well because she is the chief medical officer and they do need to work well together. But, you know, Pulaski's the one who's quoting regulations at him, right? Because she thinks that that's the way to get Picard to listen to her. And what she doesn't realize is that Picard isn't really interested in going by the book. He's interested in logical arguments. And so when she gives him a logical argument about the the shuttlecraft, for example, she's surprised that (laughs) he immediately agrees.
1: Yeah, she's ready to start, you know, arguing the point even further when she's like, oh, you said yes. Well, I think the interaction between Picard and her former captain is really important because one of the things he says is, you know, oh, I would have given her a – her own shuttle if, you know, that would have kept her. And, you know, he talks about how – and I think where she is at – again, she's written the textbook that's the standard for this, you know, area of medicine. She is the kind of person whose name is so known that, you know – She just says her name and, you know, people in her field know exactly who she is and are impressed by that. And you can tell that her previous captain gave her a lot of privileges because he was probably very happy to have her on the ship. She was probably a very good asset to her on the ship. I think she's kind of used to being able to go off on her own and doing whatever she wants and having the trust of the captain like, well, Catherine Pulaski's not going to dick around. You know, whatever she's doing because she is this person is – Important you know she she has a good sense of priorities, you know Picard gave that to uh Dr. Crusher because he knew her history. He knew that you know again dr crusher's not gonna, just going to do whatever she's going to be at the most important. you know I trust her judgment. He hasn't really. Again, she hasn't been tested enough for Picard to trust Pulaski's judgment, and I think once he realizes, no, this is really who she is, she, he does trust her a little bit more. And then she, I think, begins to realize, okay, he's he doesn't know who I am. I've got to play by his rules, just kind of play the game, just so that he knows that I will do the right thing. So that way, you know, she's basically earning his trust in this episode, and I think they're both kind of realizing, yeah neither of us means that we're just miscommunicating or not realizing the full extent of what how this is coming off to the other person. And that's very important. She is very deferential to him. She just doesn't realize she's offending him.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I, I, I take that a step further and say that I think that, you know, maybe Troy doesn't go far enough because I think there's a, there's a degree to which Picard and Pulaski are very similar yeah, in, in their temperament and their Troy personality. Troy does
1: say that, like, you know, and, we, and when she says um, – you know, she's very, you know, Pulaski's very passionate about her work. Well, so is Picard, you know, both of them that seem towards the end when uh, he's, be, you know, she's risked her own life for this mission. And, you know, Picard says, well, I'm the one who's going to, you know, you're bringing down to me, you know, I'm going to handle the transporter. He's making that same risk, you know, and that that is a very strong moment for the two of them at the end because he's saying, you know, all right, you know, I'm not going to ask you to take any risk. I want to take myself, you know, we're in this together.
0: I do want to ask you, though, do do you think that there's – do you think that age is a factor in any of this? Because I get the sense that Pulaski is supposed to be not a lot older than Picard, but a few years older. Maybe really? Maybe I, maybe 10 years older I than Picard. I didn't think
1: that at all, actually. I thought that she was a little younger. I mean, I – because
0: – I think it's hard to – She doesn't to... seem
1: Crusher's age. She seems younger than Dr. Crusher. I, 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 I mean, maybe – I'm really, I, yeah. No, no. How old do you, yes. I, Dr.
0: is like early to mid 40s. And Dr. Pulaski is like probably mid to late 50s, easily. Really? Yeah. You're also watching the SD version.
1: That could, okay, that could be. Um, and
0: I think there's a degree to which, I think there's also a degree to which you forget how young Patrick Stewart was Yeah, cuz I And there's a degree to which we don't really know how young or old Picard is supposed to be because you know, let I mean there there's a degree to which the character of Picard seems like he's a lot older than he is just because of the fact that he's bald and has white hair. Yeah, and, and I also
1: I, figured you don't also you I figured he was in his 50s in a a lot of that or whatever the uh you know, their longevity equivalent of being in your 50s you know for us today is because just because of his rank and the fact that he is in the sexiest flagship you know ship in the federation as, you don't give that to just a kid out of the you know academy
0: as far as i understand picard is supposed to be sort of like a mid 40s age range and so younger than you thought he was um and and i i do get the sense that Pulaski's is supposed to be older than him not a lot older but you know 10 years perhaps and I think there's yeah. a degree to which you know, you know, some of that might play into it as well a little bit. Where you know, Pulaski has had a longer career than Picard. Um, Pulaski seems to have been someone who can set her own course and set her own destiny and, and sort of even set her own career longer well, than Picard. Because you know, Picard is certainly as um, someone who's very high up in the federation high up in starfleet i mean he's he's the captain of their flagship so but that he certainly has not been the captain of their flagship for more than a year no and and before that he certainly wasn't someone i don't think who could take any assignment uh and so i think there's a degree to which pulaski kind of doesn't want to report everything to him because she just kind of feels like she doesn't need to because she's not at that place in her career and that's and and that and that's exactly the wrong attitude to take with Picard yeah uh and she doesn't realize that and I think she realizes that she needs to step back because she's not on that ship anymore
1: I mean part of me is almost thinking about the fact that both um you know and Dr. Crusher is said to you know the second Crusher realized there was an opening on the Enterprise she immediately went for it and she got what she wanted so I guess I kind of and we're told the same of Pulaski. Uh I don't see I would assume that the first time this position opened, Pulaski probably put in for it as well, and Crusher got it over her. So I would you know, that implies to me that Crusher was a little further along than Pulaski is or has more of a you know, or someone owes her a favor more than they do Pulaski or for whatever reason. Well, I guess that's that's I guess why I assume that she was younger than Pulaski. And... It,
0: it it could also be that Crusher is just more personable. Right. Yeah. And is, and, and is better at playing the game. I mean, she did leave to become the head of of Starfleet Medical. So yeah. there is a degree to which I think that, that Crusher is um, certainly a more uh, 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 advanced person in her career in certain respects. Yeah. than than Pulaski. Definitely.
1: Yeah, and again, that could you know that that's especially if one is you know Crusher may just have taken the assignments that are a little more hands on anyway, which would put her more in the in the front and would give her more you know opportunities to know people. Whereas Pulaski probably was doing more lab type things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and, and, you know, let, let's let tie this in with the sort of science fiction element of this of this episode, which is the rapid aging. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if you look at it from that point of view and you say, OK, well, if this is an episode about experience levels. This is an episode about respect. This is an episode about, um, you know, where you are in your career, um, you know, how you interact with different people. The, the fact that, you know, Pulaski is infected with a, a rapid aging disease, I don't think is incidental. Right. No. No, I don't know that it means a lot, but I think they were trying to go for some sort of uh, uh, metaphor there, at least.
1: Okay, i I hadn't thought really about that again, just because I didn't think that she was intended to be older than Picard. But given... well, I
0: don't even mean I don't even mean in terms of like their their actual ages. I just mean in terms of like you know the idea that we afford more respect to older people, and yeah. so the idea of Um, you know, Pulaski is learning to respect Picard and Pilar, (laughs) Picard learns to respect Pulaski primarily because she, uh, puts herself at great risk to, to solve this mystery, but also because, you know, she's getting older. And so I think there's a degree to which, like, there's, there's some of that there as well.
1: Maybe. I don't know if they, her aging inspires respect so much as it is a little bit of fear and pity, you know, just as because yeah, I- imagine she was just getting any disease like, you know, that didn't age her, but you know, let's say she had got cancer from this, you know, place, you know, I think they would feel that same, like, Oh God, a colleague well, of ours is getting really sick and dying.
0: Well, you know? I think so, but I think there's a degree to which the, the, Certainly, it's a more charged. Watching people get older fast is, well, yeah. is something that well, number one, we don't have any experience with, right? Because this is not something that actually happens. But and I don't even know that it's something that could happen. But it's a staple of Star Trek, so we have to go with it. You know, I think that there's a degree to which that's the more shocking element because it's so visible, yeah. right? And it kind of like makes it explicit in a way. Yeah, I can see that. I also want to talk about Chief O'Brien.
1: Oh yay! Okay
0: because he's a thing. He's a thing. And uh he got named in this episode.
1: I saw a comic about Chief O'Brien the other day.
0: Yeah, let's not talk about that comic. I don't like it. You um, know the one? Yeah, I know the one. Aww. Uh yeah, I I you know, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I just kind of wanted to to you know, um haven't done this a lot in the next generation, but keep an eye on Chief O'Brien. Okay. Like he becomes he, like a thing. Okay, he's a recur. Yeah. And if you notice like he was in the very first episode encountered Farpoint uh he was wearing a red command uniform okay uh he was not the transporter chief i think this is the first episode where they sort of established so he's just an extra who... col was there he was around in a few episodes he didn't he didn't get a name until this episode um he didn't get a job until this episode he's the chief yeah. he's the transporter chief and his name is o'brien and i think more interestingly as well you notice the dynamic that he has with uh, with uh with Jordy. And kind of the way that they play off each other, um, because that is something that becomes it, it, it becomes interesting later. They I keep think. it, okay? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, I will look out for him. I haven't really paid any attention to him.
0: Well, you should.
1: He's kind of a like I have given him about the same notice that I give the computer.
0: That's fine, but I do I do think that you know chief o'brien being there is the impetus for this idea of how to fix it um how to fix the the aging disease yeah. um it's well i don't want to put a too i don't want to put too fine a point on it but i i don't like we we've talked we've spent most of our time talking about this episode talking about the character stuff because that is the real meat Ooh. of the episode the yeah. the actual plot um isn't really all that interesting and the fact of the matter is I hate it when they use the transporter like this because yeah. it just makes it seem like magic no they and don't we've really seen this before they did this in the animated series They've done this in the uh. original series like you know just get away from this in yeah the, in, in the same way that when the show started and they decided that dilithium cracking was not going to be a problem anymore like because that was a way to force them to come up with different solutions for things or different yeah, yeah, dramatic yeah, yeah, yeah. different ways to like you know amp up the dramatic tension I think in a similar way like they need to have a moratorium on magic transporter fixes for things. No, because this is just... the
1: kind of thing that if it if it works in this case, there are about a dozen other episodes we could fit right. Any Anytime there's been a been a disease episode, could have been fixed by this, right? You know what I mean? Like the, the, this solving one episode in this way you have to solve everyone again the the i said this episode well they
0: they did this with picard in that one episode yeah
1: this episode in the first season well this episode doesn't really care about its plot there's this thing with this children and he's a naturally old you know and it's to but it's like it's just such a curse it's so cursorily done that i mean i have some questions about what are these children and what you know their immune systems act outside their bodies. And, like, none of that makes any sense or really means anything, but it's the kind of we, – I... talked a little bit about Technobabble. I considered pretty much the entirety of this plot to be kind of a Technobabble MacGuffin. No, it is. It does, and... It, and and that's fine It because, again, the character work was so interesting. It's kind of a – device to get this character work done and
0: i think there's a degree to which you're seeing the show start to sort of like chafe up against its expectations and the show needs to have this sort of plot because this is what star trek is but the show is starting to maybe move beyond that a little bit and it doesn't know how to jettison the parts that aren't necessary yeah And construct episodes that are more interesting in other ways. Because there are certainly episodes of the show later on which have science fiction elements, but they're not the primary driver of the plot. And this is an episode that I think, if it had been written, you know, a a year or two later, um, would have looked significantly different in that respect.
1: Yeah. They can...
0: Yeah, I, I, there's no answer for what is going on with the children. There's no answer for the rapid aging really. There's no answer for any of that. There's no resolution for any of that because the sh- the episode is not interested in that. And that's the not that's not the point of the episode. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is it really shouldn't be there.
1: Yeah, all I took from that was we have problems. Okay, we're going to solve your problems. Oh no, we have more problems. Okay, the problems are fixed. That was the plot of this episode and you know, whatever. I, I Again, I, it wasn't good, but I didn't find it a problem, which I think is to the episode's credit, to the rest of it. Again, the episode doesn't care, it, and it doesn't spend an inordinate amount of time on it. If we had this long scene where Pulaski was talking with this child and, you know, wondering, and, you know, and they're going on and they're touring the facility, like, that would have wasted the time. You know, it it got pretty much as much plot as it needed to have in order to put it through.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so, yeah, maybe it does. It does. The show needs to find new methods of storytelling.
0: Well, I think it's going to find those new methods of storytelling. Okay. In next in the next episode, is it a matter of honor? So let's uh, let's finish this one out.
1: I would give this episode six. I don't know what I'm giving it six
0: of, but I'll give it five point seven eight. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about a matter of honor.
1: Now I really liked this episode.
0: It's a good one. Yeah, I, 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 I think okay. So in the in the second season, uh, and I will not reveal uh, this ahead of time, but I think there's uh, two uh, there's there's two episodes that are a uh, 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 solid, almost classics, and there's one really really strong classic, and this is one of the two almost classics.
1: I can see that it has a lot of we and what was the other the other klingon episode we had was stupid um i don't heart of glory yeah um you know the klingons were just acting randomly or you know we didn't really get much about them here we get finally and this is probably the first time outside of star trek 6 uh that we've had a major you know showing of what klingons are and I think it was very well done. It characterizes them in a way which is a bit more subtle than they, we've seen them before. It's a bit more interesting. We get We get to see them almost as human. you know again, that scene when they're you know in the cafeteria and they're joking with each other, you know and they're saying, you know, I didn't realize that you know uh, that's not how I thought humans you know were. oh, that's not how I got thought Klingons were. Like that is a, these are very there are some very nice moments in here. And I liked this episode a lot. Um, yeah,
0: I think that this was a necessary episode yeah. for a couple of reasons. Number one, again, because they mention uh, Worf a couple times and how valuable Worf has been yeah. on, on, to have on the Enterprise. Um, you know, having a Klingon officer is something that they haven't really dealt with that much, except for in Heart of Glory. And, you know, let's not forget that Heart of Glory was an episode primarily about Klingon outcasts. Yeah. Who didn't like the fact that the Klingon empire was at peace with the Federation, didn't like the fact that the Klingon empire was going in a direction which was different than its sort of historical direction. And this is an episode which kind of confronts that head on in a way. Uh, It allows the, you know, because we, you know, if you look at the, the chronology of the Klingons, right. Um, This would come after, uh, Star Trek Four, so okay. uh, you know you 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 don't really get a sense of Klingons outside of the movies as being anything but kind of lame ass villains. Yeah, and this allows them to become a bit more human, if we can say yeah, that. Yeah. Star Trek Six, notwithstanding, uh, inalienable human rights. Uh-huh. Uh, that great line. Um and also the fact of the matter is that it allows the show to start fleshing out what the Klingon government and what the Klingon what what the Klingons as a as a culture and as a as a people are up to now.
1: Yeah. How do they feel about the fact that they're in peacetime? Now they're not Federation members, but what exactly is their they're just, they're
0: just like allies. Okay. You know, they're still independent. Um, They still have their own government. They still yeah. have their own colonies. They're, 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 but they're at peace. Yeah. They're a country, but they're at peace with the Federation. Yeah. Okay. You know, to, to what degree they're, they, they, they say that they're allies of the Federation at one point in this episode. You know, you can kind of read that in a couple different ways. I mean, because of course, like Russia is ostensibly an ally of ours, and so yeah. is Canada. Um, and they're obviously, we you have know, very different relationships with both of those countries. So
1: it's that, well, I mean, I think it's important that the second that they the Klingons think that the Federation is attacking them, they are ready to strike back. You know, if we, we're told if we thought that you know, that, you know, you, you, you hear oh, there's nuclear weapons from you know North Korea aimed at us is something very different than saying there's nuclear weapons from England aimed at us, right? You know? And yeah. so like you know, in the one car, in you know, we would think it was ludicrous. We would be on the phone to England and be like, wait, what's happening? You know, Um
0: hey guys, you might want to turn those off.
1: Yeah, you know, we would assume that that would be a mistake, you know, or. Something needs to, you know, what did, what happened? What's going on? You know, it would be a very confusing thing for this. The Klingon, you know, believes that, you know, oh, well, immediately the Federation is attacking. We need to attack back because it's the Federation. And it's not unjustifiable that they think that it's an attack, especially given the, you know, that we see all of these rational, you know, reasonable, you know, explanations for why the Enterprise acted as it did, why it didn't tell them about this why it put a scan on this area why it's on an intercept course with them we know all of those reasons and they are all rational but you know the klingon is predisposed to look at everything in the worst possible light and it does look like an attack
0: yeah and it makes me you know it makes me wonder though because you know on the one hand you have this episode which is really about um, revealing the Klingons as people, and and yeah. revealing the Klingons, you know they have humor. Um, they they sort of have their own individual personalities. Uh, you know the captain is very different from the the, the second officer, for example. Um, you know there there's some hint of their sex life. Um, I would say again. the
1: two Klingon women, they're very. Very short scene, but they have different. The two of them have very different personalities. Yeah, as well. absolutely.
0: Yeah, and and so I think you know that that's a good, uh, that's a smart thing on the on the episode to do, which is just to give all of the Klingons different yeah. personalities. Um, and on the other hand, you have this up, and it's about tolerance and about you know the Federation learning about you know humanity, yeah. learning about the Klingons, the Klingons learning about humanity. Um, you know, of course, uh, Riker being on the ship, the Pah, um, which is too similar to gogh so i'm just going to you know let's just leave that there um you know that that there's some <laughs> sort of you know i was reading on memory alpha that the writer of this episode was like oh it's about a white person in harlem and i'm just like what are you oh, even talking God. about okay let's just leave that aside um I don't think there's any sort of, like, racial implications no. to any of this. No, I mean, it's just... Um, it's And that's a guy who obviously is way too in love with the idea of Star Trek doing social commentary. I would say um, the,
1: the, the, the twist is
0: the Negronis are white,
1: yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, I loved the whole thing with the food because, and, and you know... Well, there well, is... We, 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 we'll, we'll talk about Riker, I guess.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about Riker. I think there's a degree to which, you know... There's a real I, I you know, I don't there it's kind of unbalanced, right? Because on the one hand you have Starfleet, um, and which which in this episode is sort of painted as humans, um, even though they're not all human. Yeah. Um, as we see with the Benzai character, which we can talk about because what the hell is that? Uh but that's like the one thing in the episode which kind of drives me nuts. Well, is that character. Uh, He's
1: important, and I think when we talked about Riker, but anyway, continue. Yeah, we'll
0: we'll compare the two, compare and contrast. I the think two. that's
1: really his function, too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I think on the one hand, you have it as Starfleet and humanity set up against. You know, they like the Klingons. They think that the Klingons are great. Like, they want to be at peace with the Klingons because Starfleet and the Federation want to be at peace with everybody. Yeah, uh, and on the other hand, you have the Klingons who are unsure about this. Yeah, They don't necessarily trust the Federation. They don't necessarily trust Starfleet. And so it seems to me that for whatever reason, and this isn't explicit in the episode, but, but for whatever reason, it seems that the Federation has a stronger vested interest in remaining at peace with the Klingon Empire than the Klingon Empire has with remaining at peace with the Federation.
1: Well, I think that's very clear that the Klingons don't necessarily think the... When Riker first comes on board, and they're you know they they, they seem to, and you know the entire talking to them, they seem to think that he is kind of wussy, and they need him to, and he proves himself. Like they really much.
0: That like, was that was a Klingon, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the Klingons necessarily see an advantage to having humans on because I think they think humans are weak, humans are just and humans are also kind of underhanded. We see we don't see the Klingons plotting. They're very overt on what they're dealing with. You know, when he's when the when the second is talking in you're making a face.
0: Well, aside from the fact that the Klingons are using a fucking cloaking device. Okay, fair. Um, which I I and I'm not I'm not saying this to 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 no no to you. I just think that the fact that the Klingons have cloaking devices in general makes no sense. But
1: no, you're right yeah, on that. But like the, I'm thinking of the moment when the second is talk is talking to the captain and saying you know he's lying you know and he's speaking in Klingon and you know immediately the captain's like no speak in their language like. I got the sense there was part of it like, no, we, if we're going to get this in the open. We are going to deal with this. If this is what you're thinking, he should know this. You know, he should have the – it's his – you know, it's Riker's right to see what he's dealing with, see what we feel about him, and then, you know, give him the chance to prove himself. And he does in the Klingon way. He beats the shit out of his second. Yeah. And, you know, that's really – I. they respect – the captain respects that. Riker
0: Riker when he was in 10 forward eating all of that disgusting Klingon food um, you know before Picard and and, and Pulaski pulled up a chair he was obviously like reading about Klingons on a pad and was like "Oh, okay well I gotta gotta beat somebody up to get respect like that was his thing that was yeah that's what he was doing
1: well I think that's 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 the difference between him and the Benzite and that's I think why Hmm. yeah so we have Riker who we know is ambitious he goes on this thing because as he says no one's ever done it before he's really
0: and how great is that Scene at the very beginning where picard in here on the phaser range and just kind of like shooting the shit and talking yeah,
1: that, and that's I, what i'm saying like i like the deck kind of when it's shown as just an incidental in that case you know we i don't know if that's really the same as the deck, but it's same basic purpose they're using it to just add interest to a conversation you know yeah. it, it, it well again it's that thing do. where
0: i'm talking about improv a lot this episode for some reason but it it it, it you yeah. know this is a good example of that which is like um you know you get sort of, you know, you sort of set up scenes about certain things yeah. and the scene shouldn't be about that. Like, you know, if you get a, you know... You know, give me a location that could fit on this stage. Uh, a Starbucks, okay. If you have a scene which is like, please give me a coffee. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. what kind of coffee would you like? Well, I would like a mochaccino. Okay, that'll be three ninety five. What's your name? Oh, I only have um, quarters. Will you take these? Uh, you know, that's not interesting. But what you need to do is you need to set up some sort of dynamic relationship between the yeah. two characters where the scene is taking place in this location and it could be about a lot of things. Yeah. But it's primarily about the relationship between the two characters. And what I like about that scene at the very beginning, and that's really the only screen time I think that, you know, Picard and and Riker share alone in the entire episode. um, Because they haven't really had many interactions in this season so far by themselves. I, I think that that sort of first officer captain relationship has sort of fallen by the wayside in a way. And I think that's why I like the scene so much is that it does set up this thing where, Oh, we haven't forgotten about these two. They do have a relationship. It's built. It's getting stronger. They can sort of like shoot the shit like this in a way. And Picard is sort of like, Feeling Riker out, and Riker is feeling Picard yeah. out, even though they're not being overt about it. And I just, I, think I appreciate, might... I appreciated that. And I think the show, and you know, like on Natural Selection, I think this is another example of the show starting to do stronger character work in general.
1: I got the sense actually that going to the Phaser Range is kind of one of where they will go to talk about less serious matters. Like if they're in con, they're if they're in the conference room together, you know, everyone will know that, you know. Picard and his first are having a very official, very serious discussion. This is not as this is not a crucial or, you know, life threatening situation right, they deal with. Right. But they'll still be left alone, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I got you know, and it is a way for them to bond. It is also a very practical thing. They both do need to be in, you know, going to the phaser range is something very good for both of them to do. That's probably something they do. Maybe they even have this as a this may be even a regular meeting they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um but but Riker and the Ben site. So
1: Yeah, so you have this Riker is super ambitious, he's super smart, he will read all about his new ship when he gets onto it. So yeah, he has looked up everything about Klingon culture. He is going in with no hesitation. I mean, I I loved that scene with Pulaski and Picard because they are making it very clear there's no way they would touch this. But not only is you know, he's not just Riker isn't just learning the easiest things that he can get away with eating. He is eating he's pointing to every single Klingon dish on the menu and said, Give me one of everything, and he's he's going for it. You know, he's you know, and he's I think he's finding things he likes, you know, but he does recognize and, you know, it does bear fruit when they they're make you know, they they begin to make fun of him uh, you know, for not eating their food, but he does it. He wants to make it clear that there is no he realizes immediately that any sign of weakness is not only going to look bad for him, but for the Federation in general. Yeah, He's representing, you know, the entire Federation, and he wants to say, look, you know, we are in this together, and, you know, I'm in your country, really. And
0: they make that explicit when the second officer says that that Riker is the first human he's ever met. Yeah. So this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, and so I like that. And, uh, you know, I I loved that scene where, you know, they're like, oh, well, gacked." it's much better, but it's fresh, but, you know— your breastfeed you, you know, and he, you know, he says like, yeah, I didn't know how to do this. And he eats it, you know, saying like, and that also says like, look, we both need to adapt to this new world. Like humans can do it. You know, it's also, now it's the Klingon's turn. You know, you can, I can eat weird food. You can talk to your dad, you know? And I think (laughs) that, yeah, I think that, you know, because the entire purpose of this, you know, program Is is to foster culture, you know, more of a cultural knowledge, and to be able to work together. And I think in this case, it does work. At least in that, they begin to realize: no, humans can be tough. Humans are a good ally because someone like Riker for these Klingons is going to be a very good ally to have. And I think that's kind of he wants to show them that. Meanwhile, this Benzite doesn't do a goddamn thing to prepare for this. He Shows up. I'm sure that in Benzite culture, him, you know, talking the way he does to everybody is probably not taking offense to humans. It comes off as arrogance. He's very impertinent. He doesn't follow the chain of command. He sees something and doesn't report it immediately. I, if, you know, the Benzite equivalent of Riker would know how to, would know about the chain of command. He would know that the second you see something, you need to report it. He would, you know, he would know all of that. And I think it, you know, the Benzai begins to realize that towards the end, you know, when he's talking to Wesley and I, I mean, part of that shows why he's just an ensign and why Riker is the first mate, you know, when going to be captain someday.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that. And I think the, I think Riker's, you know, sort of stuff with the Klingons, is much stronger than the benzite stuff with, oh, yeah. with the Enterprise, right? And I think and, that's just because benzites aren't really that great. Well, but here's you know my my problem with your reading of that is the Klingons are you know it, it, they're not a federation of planets. They are in effect uh, Russians. Yeah. you know, let let you know they, they've they, always they, been, they still yeah. are. They yeah they were in the '60s and they they still are now. And I think the show even makes that, you know, more explicit later on because, of course, the show is on, um, you know, during a, a, a glasnost and the fall of the, the Soviet yeah. Union and, the, you know, the collapse of the Berlin Wall and all of these things. So the, the Klingons do change and grow over the course of the next yeah, generation yeah, yeah. at seven seasons. But, you know, and so so in effect, then, the, the Klingons are a um, – while there's individual personalities, of course, as there are individual personalities yeah, yeah, yeah. with everybody, every other character on, on, on the Enterprise um, – they are all of the same species and they all do have a shared culture and they all do expect certain things out of one another. What I think is interesting about the Benzite situation and the fact that we can't even remember his name is probably, (laughs) uh, you know, is probably indicative of something that I don't know that the analogy quite works on a one-to-one relationship because the Federation is explicitly the united nations in space it is about mutual understanding because the federation and starfleet do want to understand the klingons i don't know that it's a problem that the benzite doesn't conform to some sort of like federation or culture right because the benzites the benzites are a member of the federation the whole idea is that you know, you don't try and change other species' culture. You don't try and, and and sort of prescribe actions for them. You you allow them to be themselves. And yes, there is a, there is a degree to which I think you can make the. I, I would probably make the argument that that the Bensley character isn't a very good Starfleet officer. Yeah. I, I I don't think that. I don't think that the, the, the analogy works quite the way you're saying it works. See,
1: I don't know, because I do get the sense, you know, put Wesley on the Benzite ship. He's gonna mention this, you know, anomaly the second he sees it. To I mean, this Benzite is all about proving himself. He's all Again, about, again, and- but,
0: but 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 what you're forgetting is that Put him on a Benzite no, ship. No, no. Uh, put uh, him on a Klingon ship. This is not, no, a, singularly, sh- this is not a singularly human vessel. No, this no, 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 no. This no, no, is a no, no, Starfleet no. Federation vessel. And so and what I'm fair, saying putting is that it, put I Put him on
1: a Benzite Captain Federation ship. How's that? I think if he told the captain immediately, like, oh, there's an anomaly, the captain would say, well, what is it? Oh, I don't know yet. Well, what's its nature? I don't know. Well, find out. Stop bugging me. You know. Yeah, this that could is, be. Yeah, I. I. You know,
0: that might be a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah.
1: and you know, which, w- uh, and I'm sure that he wouldn't. You know, if Wesley knew all about you know this anomaly, he wouldn't want to. You know, well, why did you report that to your first? You know, the second officer who would report that to the first officer who would report that to me. Why didn't you tell me directly? You get the sense that. And they would also probably, if he ha- came up with all this lack of information, they would probably think he was not very smart in that way, you know. For in in Picard's ship, yes, everyone's collaborating on figuring out this mystery. You mention it, and we've got six people working on it now, and that's you know right. that's better than one. I think the Benzites seem to have more of a culture of personal uh, accomplishment and achievement and abilities, and so um, I don't know that that's. That's kind of how that came off to me that that's just it's a difference in style and yeah again maybe more ben, a Benzite captain would probably be more used to the Benzite style of, you know, being an ensign rather than, you know, and Picard doesn't have the and and that's that's a thing that I think this program is designed to show in a way. You know, maybe they didn't necessarily realize that there are these kind of differences in protocol that's going to be logged so okay in the book it'll say when dealing with the benzite you know they may you know to, this is this is the way that we need to be trained maybe we do need to have a more consistent set of protocols from ship to ship in this kind of thing i don't know that that's up to the administrators of the Federation
0: yeah and I think you know there. there's a degree to which I, I, I think that you're hedging your your argument a little bit just because of the fact that I don't know that the episode really completely has figured it out either yeah and that's that's um, definitely fair to say you know say. we are still talking about an episode let's not forget that uh, isn't perfect I mean no. you know the show still has not figured itself out and so I think there are elements to this which will change there are elements to this which are not completely thought out and you know the fact of the matter is, I think on the one hand, if you're looking at this episode and saying, um, "Oh well, tolerance is a great ideal, and you know we should all strive to respect each other's differences and respect each other's cultures," and then at the same time, you have the episode berating the Benzite for not acting, you know, in a way which. Uh, uh, is against his culture and is against his belief I mean, system. That's, it's a little strange, is all I'm saying.
1: You know, that said, you know, and, and I guess you part could, of the fact is that that redemption of the Benzite is done by Wesley, and we don't really like Wesley. But when he is saying, like, you know, no, you're not, like, you know, the Benzite is, oh, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible, I suck, you know? And it's like, no, you just didn't realize something. You made an error in protocol. Like, I think Wesley kind of just says, like, you know, he, I believe he does use that phrase error in protocol, which is kind of like that's not really a big thing in the thing of things. You know, you'll figure that out and you're not going to make that mistake again. There, it's fixed. You know, this is not staying on your soul.
0: Yeah. I almost, I mean, I almost wish that the episode had done the opposite in a different way. And what I mean by that is have a klingon officer yeah and I'm come s- over to the enterprise like i don't you know i wasn't really i don't think that the episode is really clear about this either because the Benzite is an ensign in starfleet and is wearing a starfleet uniform but he is talking about Benzite ships and talk you know and it's sort of like wh- what is going on here exactly like is the Benzite a member of this of, of starfleet or is he like not and if he's not why is he wearing a starfleet uniform i don't get it yeah like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me
1: you know, yeah, having it be a Klingon would have made a bit more sense, and also would have been able to, I don't know, provide the contrast a little better. But Let's... then I
0: guess, you know, if you bring a Klingon over to the Enterprise, you run the risk of turning it into a Wharf episode, when really it's supposed to be a Riker episode. Yeah. Right? So I guess there's that as well. Um, and I guess it, it there is a degree to which... You can't do that because the bulk of the episode should be about Riker's experiences on the Klingon ship.
1: And the and I will say, as far as the experiences on the Klingon ship part of the episode, I like that, and I like the way that you know we in the previous episode this is a little more it's more well thought out the plot of this as far as this bacteria that eats the ship goes i mean that this that makes a lot more sense that's a bit
0: more yeah that's an example of the show using sci-fi elements yeah, to exactly. to drive forward the the real um you know the real stakes of the episode and the sort of the real motivations of the episode which is all this character yeah arc.
1: because the sci-fi thing does turn out to be innocuous they do figure out how to fix it and you know you know once they calm down and communicate and figure it out it's imply that it you know it's a 15 minute fix but the real issue of this is their lack of communication their lack of trust between them the differences in the cultures and that turns out to be a more salient and obviously more applicable lesson to learn from the episode and so i liked that i mean there is and we we talk sometimes about how star trek gets preachy and it edged against that in this episode certainly but the message, especially at the time that this was made, was still pretty important. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think, at, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's there's two things you can take away from that. Number one is that, um, you know, Riker is going to have a better understanding of Klingons, which is going to make him a better Starfleet officer. The Klingons as well are going yeah. to have a little bit more information about humans and, and the Federation and Starfleet. They have one more data point that they can trust the Federation and that they will have a better working relationship because of this reason. And also that the next generation is figuring out how to tell stories like this without being preachy, Yeah, which is definitely a problem it had in the first season.
1: Yeah, that's true. It doesn't. Wrap up really as yes, uh, in in a nice package because you know there are still tensions between Klingons and humans at the end of the episode they haven't completely fixed it you know
0: I think if if, if you look back at at where we were um you know at this point talking about the first season of the Next Generation we were very unhappy and yeah. I think there's a degree to which you can see the episodes especially this one where we're saying hey this show not, not bad now. If
1: the, yeah, this is a—these a sh- this uh, these two episodes are a show with potential. Maybe it's not 100% there, but I actually like this week. And I think these were decent episodes this week. I th- I think that the—it was better done and it's closer to a show that is worth watching for seven years, you know?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And I'm glad that you like the Klingons because there will be a lot more of them
1: i I know that it becomes a Klingon the Klingon show for a while,
0: yeah, it does, and uh well, we can talk about it when we get there i my opinion of Klingons is that they are way overplayed, yeah, but you know hey. I, they're they're fine, I like them fine, but um, they're definitely not my Favorite species in Star Trek, if I can say that.
1: Well, that's a racist. I give this episode through seven tentacles of Gak.
0: You're stealing all my numbers this week. I was going to give it seven as well. I'll give it a seven point two.
1: Well, you could. Oh, well, look at you. Yeah, look at me. We can
0: rate it the same thing. We can, but I don't want to because I'm feeling contradictory today because I am a Klingon. (laughs) So next week we are talking about the measure of a man, and. The Dauphin. So look forward to those.
1: That sounds ominous.
0: We'll talk to you then.